I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k flats. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Larson Show. Our beloved Republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Live now. Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. I almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette. And my cat, Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on a Thursday. Always glad to get your phone calls and emails. You know, we know that fentanyl kills. It's killing hundreds of people in Oregon and Washington and Idaho. We know where it comes from, both China and Mexico. We know that Joe Biden won't do squat to stop it. He won't even lift a finger. And we know illegal aliens serve as a big part of the supply chain that brings that deadly drug to the Northwest. And in a moment i want to tell you about the latest i think outrageous case where a guy got caught carrying 55 pounds of meth and cocaine and cash and everything else so this is methamphetamine which also kills and what happens he gets almost no time very light sentence but i'll tell you about the details in just a moment first welcome to conspiracy theory thursday on the radio northwest network and the lars larson show glad to get your calls and if you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism it's here every day at 866 hey lars and if you happen to be a naysayer you disagree with my point of view I'm, I'm glad to get your call, and we'll put you right to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com and vote in our Twitter poll. Boy, if you weren't mad already, you're not paying attention. And I mean this question seriously. I have a lot of respect for the Indian tribes of the United States. Uh, they made a deal. They made deals with the United States. Many people feel that some of those deals were unfair. That's a subject for another day. But consider this question because Joe Biden just shoved this down the collective throat of the Pacific Northwest. Should the sovereign Indian nations 
controlled the spending of all $1 billion aimed at salmon recovery in the Northwest. And if you say, well, what does that mean, Lars? Well, we're going to put a billion dollars into trying to bring the salmon back. Actually, they're coming back pretty nicely after I talked to my friend Todd Myers at the Washington Policy Center. The numbers are looking reasonably good. Now, there are some lunatics out there who want to tear out the dams, but we've been putting up tons of cash to be able to go out and do the work to enhance the environment, make it easier for the salmon to recover. Who should decide how it's spent? What Joe Biden just did was he cut a deal just, we just found out about it this morning. And what that deal says is there will be a billion dollars in salmon recovery cash and all of the decisions about spending every single dime of it will not be made by non-Indians in the Northwest. All of the decisions will be made by the Indian tribes. Now, look, should they be represented at the table? Absolutely. Should they get the entire say-so and white people need not apply to be able to be considered and our opinions added into that? Absolutely not. But what's Joe doing? He's taking your cash aimed at solving a problem, recovery of salmon, and he's saying, I'm going to gift it all to the tribes because he's got an election that he is desperate to win. That's the way I translate it. In any case, you can answer the question. We framed it this way. Should the sovereign Indian nations control spending of all of the $1 billion in salmon recovery cash? I would say no to that. You can vote any way you like. You'll find the question on X or Twitter at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com. Uh, brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest asset on the road and running right. Find them at ultimatetruckservice.com. Yesterday's poll, after Colorado's decision to illegally and unconstitutionally forbid the citizens of Colorado from voting for Donald Trump in the primary election, and by the way, the Supreme Court also said, we're going to convict Donald Trump of the crime of insurrection no trial needed, no evidence needed, no testimony needed, no innocent till proved guilty. Uh, no confronting your wit the witnesses against you should the states throw President Trump off the ballot for insurrection. Sixteen states have lawsuits right now to throw Donald Trump off the primary ballot. And a little bit later this hour, I'm going to tell you about the last president this happened to, and he won the election. You'll want to stick around for that. Ninety-four percent of you, like me, said no to that question. Only six percent of you said yes. Glad to be with you. Glad to take your calls. I'll get to those calls in a moment. But with the drug problem we've got in the Pacific Northwest, hard drugs effectively legal in Oregon and Washington, police completely with their hands tied, can't do much about it. And this problem, take a look at what they actually do when they catch somebody hauling an immense amount of illegal drugs, in this case, methamphetamine. A, a man caught with 55 pounds of meth. He, was, he said he was from Yakima, but he was caught in Oregon, so it really spans both states. He gets convicted. His own attorneys walk into court and they say, well, you have to understand, this is just a hard-working guy. He works on a farm. He doesn't make much living. He was just paying off an old drug debt. Really? Is that why he was driving a vehicle that had a secret trapdoor compartment where you could hide 50 pounds of illegal drugs? Not just 55.1 pounds of meth, but almost a thousand pounds, a thousand grams of cocaine and more than a thousand fentanyl pills. This is how this stuff gets into the region. Now, a guy is going to try and persuade you that he's working as a farm worker 
when in fact he's making probably thousands of dollars for driving multi-million dollar uh, loads of drugs back and forth into the Pacific Northwest. The guy's name, Daniel Martin Ponce Gonzalez, believed to live in Yakima. Oh, and by the way, I, did I forget to mention, he's illegally in the country. He has been deported from the United States before. He came back anyway. Now, what did he tell the police? He said, well, I was just doing it this one time. Right, like everybody who tells the cops, I was just doing it this one time. He was doing it to settle an old debt from 15 years ago. He has been previously sentenced to prison in Washington for drug trafficking. So he's a known quantity for the cops. He has been deported from the United States. Did that stop him from coming back? Of course not. And in fact, here's what, here's what his lawyers said about all of this. This is, this is how crazy this gets. Mr. Ponce Gonzalez turned to narcotics as a functional working man of color. You can hear where this is going in dealing with mental health issues that were untreated. And he was mentally ill because of his undocumented status, meaning he's illegally in America, and a lack of resources. Yeah, a guy driving around with uh, almost a pound and a half of cocaine, a thousand fentanyl pills, and 55 pounds of meth. Yeah, he's almost flat broke. There is no benefit for society or this court in sending Mr. Ponce Gonzalez to prison for a significant time of you know, prior to his deportation. So he gets five years in prison. We get to pay his expenses. We already paid for his legal defense. Then he'll be sent back to Mexico and he can pick up another load because what's his past history? Transport drugs, get caught, sent to prison, deported, comes right back. And now he's going to be allowed to have a relatively short sentence. I don't know how much money he was making by moving 50-pound loads of methamphetamine into the Northwest, but you can bet that it was not a small amount of money. And now they're telling him, you got to sit in prison. We'll give you three hots and a cot, maybe even some education while you're behind bars. Then we'll give you a free trip back to Mexico, and you can pick up your next load of killing drugs to bring back to the Northwest. Glad to be with you on a Conspiracy Dairy Thursday, 866-439-5277. Emails go to talk at LarsLarson.com. And we'll talk about Tanya Harding and Joe Biden coming up next. Hey, I have a special. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k flats. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com.
naysayers go to the head of the line at the Lars Larson Show. That makes a lot of sense, a lot of nonsense. Right, you bloody well right. You know you got a right to say. This is the Northwest Nonsense. How much longer do we have to sit for this nonsense? That great moment every day where Lars brings you the cold, hard facts without any liberal wokeness from the Daily Dead, Fish Rapper, or mainstream media bias. I want to ask you this question. Have Joe Biden and the Democrats become the party of Tanya Harding? Let me tell you what I mean. When Oregon's bad girl figure skater feared losing to a more popular competitor, her friends just kneecap the competition. That would be Nancy Kerrigan. Biden's political allies can't even be sure that Joe makes it all the way to November 5th. His approval ratings have sunk to a new low, and he's facing corruption charges, most likely leading to his impeachment. So, Colorado's all-Democrat Supreme Court kneecaps Donald Trump, finding him guilty of insurrection without trial or testimony, and banning him from the primary election ballot. Lawsuits by Democrats in 16 other states are seeking to do the same. Now, it might surprise you to know this, but this has happened before to an American presidential candidate. You see, it was Democrats then, too. Slave-owning Democrats tried the very same thing back in 1860 when they got Abraham Lincoln's name struck from the ballot in most of America's southern states. Lincoln won anyway, and so will Donald Trump. The U.S. Supreme Court will likely throw out this anti-American, undemocratic move. Yep. They will. Joe Biden himself put a fine point on the irony here, tweeting out this accusation just yesterday. Trump poses many threats to our country, but the greatest threat he poses is to our democracy. So this pathetic president who has no campaign, won't debate, and most days can barely complete a single sentence, and whose friends think he can only win if they kneecap his competition, Joe claims that Trump is the real threat to democracy, that is truly rich. Our question of the day comes from Philip Gaston. Lars, if Colorado succeeds in omitting Donald Trump the ballot in the primary, what is stopping Donald Trump from launching a huge write-in campaign? Well, Philip, i got a serious answer to that. Because if the GOP in Colorado didn't already plan to go to caucuses, if the primary is, is, is affected that way, let me put it this way. If the Supreme Court of Colorado said, under Colorado's law and constitution, Donald Trump, and the federal constitution as well, is disqualified as a candidate. I could well imagine that elections officials in Colorado, if they took that to heart, and they're probably mostly Democrats, would say, if he's disqualified as a candidate, we don't even have to count the write-in votes for a disqualified candidate. And they could do that. Now, today's Daily Grill. Insane. Are you Ridiculous. They get more and more ridiculous. Flat out dumb. You're even dumber than I thought. Who deserves today's Lars Grill of the Day? Maybe they're just really, really stupid. Find out right now. I want to give today's Daily Grill to the Oregon officials who passed the so-called Climate Protection Program. Now, it sounds all nice and warm and fuzzy. Here's what it mandates. It says, we're going to demand that you have cuts and cuts and cuts in emissions from gasoline, diesel, kerosene, propane, large industrial plants, and natural gas utilities. In other words, don't just cut them this year. You'll be expected to cut your emissions year after year after year after year. Now, guess what they did? State of Oregon officials who passed it, passed it in violation of the state's own laws. And believe me, 
the decision on that actually came from the Oregon Court of Appeals, one of the last places I would have expected it, because the Court of Appeals in Oregon is notoriously liberal and crazy and woke, but they've decided the state broke its own laws in passing the climate protection program. It has been thrown out. Now, if you want to join the best conversation, it's 866-HEY-LARS. Send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Naysayers go to the head of the line. And, of course, you can vote in our Twitter poll as well. Our email, uh, best email so far today, I've withheld the name at the request of the sender. Lars, Bellingham runs workshops for landlords periodically. They pretty much come across, as I feel the newsletter does. The landlord is the dog. The city is the trainer. The tenant is the master. I don't know if you'll get the same sense out of this I do. I'm a small landlord. My tenants are mostly long-term, eight years and more in residence. Yeah. I try to do a good job. My tenants are pleasant. I've never had any issues. They all pay rent on time. I look after any problems in a timely manner. Nobody needs a heavy-handed master. I went out of the business. I'm looking for other opportunities through a 1031 exchange. They don't seem to realize that when they do this, they're hurting tenants by driving up rents that landlords need to protect themselves from the minority of deadbeats being protected by the city of Bellingham. It is frustrating. And I took his request and left his name off. But I think the uh, the accusation is a solid one. To your calls now, it's Conspiracy Theory Thursday. I'm glad to get those calls. Let's start out with, uh, ah, why don't we start out with David? David Cross is our guy who watches illegal alien issues. David, welcome back. It's good to be with you, Lars. I just want to praise you so much for the excellent introduction today and, and where you talked about Daniel Martin Ponce Gonzalez. And I don't know if your listeners know this, but you've been tracking this case through the Lars Larson Show Criminal Area of the Week report since July uh, 2nd of, of 2021. It takes years wow. to prosecute these guys. He's still in the in the Jackson County Jail. This is a Southern Oregon thing also. And I just thought it was so crazy. The U.S. District Attorney for Oregon issued a press release and never mentioned a word about his immigration status. And that is deeply troubling to me because you have international drug traffickers like this guy, and the U.S. Attorney's Office isn't even to mention their name. And, of course, who who runs the U.S. Attorney's Office? Who's the head of the Justice Department? Merrick Garland. Merrick Garland, right? Merrick Garland, who's and, woke and politically correct and weaponized on behalf of the Democrats. They don't want to. And and that's what's crazy because I know people say, well, why why does his status matter? Because he's been a drug dealer in this region before he's been convicted before he's been deported before and deporting him didn't keep him from coming back which shows we need tougher penalties and instead this guy does a multi-million dollar deal and gets just five years in prison david thanks so much for your taking your time and the effort to track those cases for us let's go to ben in albany hey ben it's conspiracy theory thursday what's on your mind Thanks for having me on. Um, one of my conspiracies is that the uh, state of Oregon has no problem dumping raw sewage into the Willamette River, and when they get too much of it, they just open our dams up so they can flood the river with clean water coming out of our lakes and storage. Um, what a question I have for your viewers or your listeners is, what product and service do you pay for that when they don't provide that service, you can't demand a refund? When is That's the state of Oregon going to stop dumping sewage in our rivers? I, I would agree with you. And I don't know how much the sewage actually affects the salmon, but that's not the point. The point is everybody else is held to the law. And, Ben, I haven't lived on a floating home. Tina and I used to live on a floating home. But when I moved on to a floating home, one of my neighbors said, hey, watch out, make sure all the connections on your home are tight. 
And I said, what's the special concern? Uh, because I knew, you know, you, you can have big trouble if you pollute the waters of the United States, as they say in indictments. And he said, you have a single drop spill out of the, uh, you know, the honeypot arrangement that all floating homes have. He says, the Coast Guard can fine you up to $10,000 a day. And yet you hear about King County and Seattle and Portland and Multnomah County all dumping sewage. Now they say, oh, we do our best not to. But they get no punishment whatsoever because they're all exempt from the fines. But the average Joe Blow, you spill a drop of oil in one of the rivers or Puget Sound, and you're going to get a big whopping fine and maybe even worse uh, from the authorities because the government isn't required to follow its own rules. Great point, Ben. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. Exercising the right to free speech every day. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. I'll promptly get back to your phone calls, but I want to talk to my friend Josh Marquis first. He's a world traveler, so he's just back to the region. Uh, but I want to talk to him about a story that I covered uh, at some length way back in the day because there was the stabbing death of the director of Oregon's prisons, a guy by the name of Michael Frankie. And when they caught the man, Frank Gable, uh, and prosecuted him and convicted him in court. I covered nearly all of the trial. I was there almost every single day. And I also got a chance to meet Kevin Frankie, uh, one of Michael Frankie's brothers, and Patrick Frankie as well. And Josh knows the story as well. But now, now we've got people saying, no, Frank Gable didn't do it. Somebody else did it. And, and now we want a new investigation. In, you know, 30 years after the fact, yeah, more than 30 years, almost 35 years after the fact, into the stabbing death of Michael Frankie. Josh, welcome back to the program and welcome back to the United States. I hope you were reminded by your overseas travels just how unique this, this country is and, and what it offers citizens and, and even visitors that other countries do not. Our First Amendment in particular, um, it, it really is brought home. As much as I love places like England and Italy, uh, they don't have the First Amendment. Believe me, it shows. Yep, it does show because you cover a murder trial in Great Britain, you can't mention the name of the accused until and unless he's convicted. And you think, would that work in, in America? Well, somebody got murdered and there's a guy on trial, but we can't tell you his name. Now, that's a subject for another day. Should there be another investigation or is Frank Gable, uh, now they've decided he's innocent, uh, but, no, but they no, want another not, investigation no, but... into this? There should not be another investigation. Let's be really clear on what happened. Frank Gable did, in fact, murder Michael Frankie. Like most murders, it was not part of a grand scheme as much as the two deluded brothers of Michael Frankie would like to believe it was. It was a, a pathetic drug addict looking uh, for a mark to be able to steal and, and, and get a fix. Uh, uh, Frank Gable at the time, by his own admission, was a methamphetamine addict, and anybody familiar with the old uh, uh, dome building near, near the uh, campus of the Department of Corrections knows it was a very exposed area. In any event, the fact is the matter is in 1989, trial uh, very unanimously decided he was guilty. At least three levels of appellate courts found that he was guilty. But the two brothers, frankly, both of whom have had serious mental issues and, and like all criminal victims, had a hard time coming to terms with the murder of their brother, have announced and decided that they think some 
S-O-D-D-I. Some other dude did it. And they're not happy with Frank Gable. Frank Gable is what Frank Gable did, the killer, is he used what's called post-conviction relief. And he found a judge, a federal magistrate who's never practiced criminal law. Now, what's his uh, name? Let's put his name out there. I'm actually having a little a little okay. brain freeze. No, I no worries forgot. about that. But <laughs> let me ask you: but, they've but he decided made this a decision. Yeah, he made a decision that he thought that the evidence was insufficient. No jury. Most of the witnesses did not reappear. He just made a a, a decision. I I don't think this guy was guilty. And based on that decision, through a process called post conviction relief, he decided that Gable's conviction should be set aside. Hence, that's how the many many of the mainstream media now declare uh, Gable to be innocent. Now, that's very, very different than either A, being acquitted by a jury of your peers, or B, having an appellate court or the prosecutor say, hey, we made a terrible mistake, which happens. Uh, he didn't do it. He got let off the hook because the state of Oregon was not allowed to retry Frank Gable. And here's the, the last weirdest part of this. The, the Gable brothers, I'm sorry, the, 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 Frankie, the, the Frankie brothers, the people yeah. the, 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 are convinced that the man who really killed their brother was a man who one of them married who was stabbed to death 20 years ago. So I'm not sure. No, no, not a man, but Josh, let me reframe that because I think you missed it. So they believe that a guy by the name of Tim Natividad did the murder, right? Right. And Natividad right. had a girlfriend or wife, and and his girlfriend ends up marrying one of the Frankie brothers, right? Correct. It, it, the, and it couldn't be weirder because then you had Frank Gable who got married for a time to one of the lawyers assigned to his case. I, I think that's over now, but but oh, it was, was it was married. a weird... They were just having an affair, yeah. Yeah. So it was a, but they got married during one of the breaks. So it's, it's, you know, the whole thing is bizarre. Let me ask you this just generically. Let's say the Frankie brothers are successful and they persuade Ellen Rosenblum to call the FBI and say, we want a new investigation. 35 years after the fact, what are they going to be able to find out that's new on a murder that old where some of the key uh, parties are gone or dead? Very little. One, because Ellen Rosenblum, the attorney general, has no original criminal jurisdiction. I don't know how she'd bring the case back to trial, but let's assume she could bring the case back to trial. All of the very things that convicted Frank Gable will be used by whoever the defense attorney is to say, you must have a reasonable doubt. Another jury found this person to be guilty. This has actually happened in cases where genuinely innocent men have been exonerated and the new guy's lawyers have said, hey, another man was already found guilty. It's virtually impossible. Are they allowed to tell a jury that? I mean, could you walk in and say, okay, Josh Marquis is accused of the murder of, of Michael Frankie, and, and we're going to accuse him instead of uh, Frank Gable. Your attorney could walk in and tell the jury, by the way, my client didn't do it, and a jury already found this other guy, Frank Gable, guilty, but he can't be retried. They, they could tell the Absolutely. jury that? The defense attorney could tell the jury that. The prosecutor would never be allowed to tell the jury that. But keep in mind, it's all about the state having to prove it. The defense can throw whatever it wants in its way to disprove it. And trying to go back and retry and reprove cases where there's been some sort of flaw uh, in the original prosecution, 
I'm trying to remember if there's ever been a successful retrial. I believe, and many people believe, that the guilty man was convicted, did his time. Um, you know, the fact of the matter is he's going to walk free. Um, and the irony is, in this case, that the family members of the dead man are happy about that. Um, I find that bizarre, but not much we can do about that. Well, and so what, why, what do you think drove this? Just the persistence of the Frankie brothers or Ellen no, Rosenblum's think, incompetence think what, or what? No, what drove it is, is something simpler that I've experienced in 40 years of being a prosecutor. And that is most crime victims want to believe in the depths of their soul that if their loved one was murdered, it was for a noble and good purpose. It wasn't because somebody forgot uh, you know, the keys at home, or it wasn't because of some silly little, uh, you know, jealousy thing. It was for a grand motive. And in this case, the Frankie brothers want to believe, the alive ones, that their brother had uncovered a, 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 a incredible uh, scum of, of corruption in the Oregon Well, and, and, and in fact, in point of fact, there was scum of corruption at, at the prison system, was there not? There was, but nothing on the level that there are in other states. And 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 the guy they like to point the cut their finger at is going to point Cup, who was the uh, superintendent. It was an odd duck, but there was no way that he was a man, in fact, guilty of the murder of uh, Michael Frankie. But people would like to believe that everyone that their loved ones died for a great and glorious cause. And the sad matter is, many times murders are committed for pathetic and meaningless reasons absolutely that's josh marquis the former district attorney in clatsop county and a good friend of the show josh thanks very much and i get calls about the frankie case every now and then and i'm sure that if they spur a new investigation i just can't imagine what new information could you find more than a third of a century later glad to be with you i'll get back to your phone calls and emails and in advance i want to wish you all a very merry christmas you're listening to the lars larson show me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges, but how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Broadcasting the sound of freedom, here's Lars Larson. Money. 
Invaded from China, Ukrainian payoffs Shutting down pipelines and causing big layoffs Record inflation, oh how it stings These are Joe Biden's favorite things Bags full of cash that go straight to the big guy Railroading Trump by pushing the big lie to pull a few strings These are a few of Joe's favorite things When more stories of corruption Has Joe feeling sad He simply remembers that he can't be touched And then Joe don't feel so Larson Shaw, a great parody artist, the great Jim Gossett with you on a Conspiracy Theory Thursday. And to your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Let's go to Mark. Hey, Mark, welcome to the Radio Northwest Network and for listening to our flagship uh, affiliate station, KXL. What's on your mind? Well, thank you very much, Lars. Hey, I was calling uh, about a caller that called a little bit earlier. Uh, and a lot of people are talking about sewage in the river in Portland or combined yeah. sewage. Yep. And I just wanted to clarify a couple of things about that. So the city of Portland, like Boston and some other cities in the, you know, 1840s, 1850s, they decided to build a combined sewer system because back in those days they were using steam shovels and, you know, and they, so they, built one big trench with one big pipe, and the sanitary sewage would go in there, but also when it rained, all the stormwater would go in there, and they would have to build these reliefs in the system that are called outfalls. Where so they went, they went combined. cheap is what you're trying to say, right? They, they, yeah, they went cheap. And um, uh, so combined sewage goes out to the river during certain storm events, and... Um, Along, you know, along came the Clean Water Act in 1972, and they said, well, we can't do this anymore. So that that's something that was invented before they decided to build the city of Portland with a combined sewer system. And so it's not necessarily the city of Portland's uh, fault, uh, you know. Hold, the, hold, the hold, modern... hold on, Mark. I, I think that's hogwash. And let me tell you why, and you tell me if you think I'm wrong. When somebody decides to save money by doing something the cheap way and they build it badly and they build it in a way that that there are some other cities, there are about 900 cities in America that do this. That's 40 million people. 40 million is a little over 10 percent of the entire population. All the other cities do not mix their sewage with their rainwater and have this this overflow. So. If 90% or 87% of the cities don't do it that way, and Portland's one that does, and they say, gosh, we, we built it wrong in the day, rather than fix it, uh, we're just going to keep on dumping sewage in the river, which is what they do right now. Now, they, they do it less than they used to, but they still do it. Is that a good excuse? I mean, it'd be like if you told me, yeah, I decided to put the wrong kind of roof on my house, and it doesn't work so well, it leaks, but I don't want to fix it. Mark, when a city is dumping sewage in the river because of the city's own actions, historic or not, why shouldn't they have to fix it? Well, I, 
I understand what you're saying. I'm just saying that the city of Portland was before founded. No, hold you on. Know, you you dropped really out. Your phone dropped out for a second. You said they did it before they were founded. They did it as a city. They built the sewers wrong. And at no point in the city's history have they said, hey, let's fix it. In fact, their best fix was a thing called the Big Pipe, which cost $1.5 billion and managed to eliminate, I think they call it 95 or 98 percent of the sewage overflow. Well, that's great. So you're keeping 98% of the sewage out. You're still dumping sewage in the river. And my point is, if private citizens say, hey, it's really expensive to make sure my sewage doesn't go in the river, they, the, the government says, we don't care. If you dump it in the river, we're going to find the, you know, we're going to find the crap out of you, pun intended. And, and when the city says, yeah, but we're still dumping sewage in the river and we don't get fined at all. Does that sound right to you? Well, it doesn't sound right, but it was not a problem before 1972 when the Clean Water Act was invented. Oh, hold on. It wasn't so a it was problem okay. until it became illegal? Is that what you're telling me? You're well, saying it wasn't really I'm, a problem as long as it was still legal to dump sewage in the river. And, and yet 90% of American communities don't do it that way. Yeah, I'm just saying that when Portland was a small town, a little bit of sewage in the river didn't make that much of a difference. Now You're just that saying that, that town, until the bad. Congress actually made it illegal to do it. And yet, for some reason, the other almost 90% of cities in America representing a, oh, 290 million people did not do it that way. And when you say, well, it was really expensive back in the day, well, I'm sure it was just as expensive for every other city in America, the 87% who did it the right way. I mean, steam shovels cost just as much for them as they did for Portland. Steam, you know, sewer pipe cost just as much. Portland went cheap, and now they won't. And you say, well, if you go cheap, you'll pay the cost. Portland isn't paying the cost. They say we just still dump sewage in the river, and we don't get fined for it. But if you're a private citizen and you do it, you're going to get $10,000 a day from the Coast Guard. Mark, you're a good naysayer. Back in a moment. you got the Lars Larson Show. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. You ready for the big show? In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. Lars. This is the Lars Larson Show. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Lars. And now... Then we're going 
to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's, it's very clear to me that the labor unions representing teachers in public schools have been ripping off the public for a good long time. But never have I seen an example as clear-cut as the one presented in Portland by the Portland Public Schools and their teachers and their evil labor union, uh, because what they've done is they've negotiated a new deal with tens of millions of dollars of additional rewards for the teachers, not much for the students, that didn't improve much at all, and immediately after negotiating in an after a long strike that denied education to kids for the better part of a month, the teachers union, many of their members just said, we're not showing up for work. I mean, they'd already gone on strike for a long time and they said, we're not showing up. We're going to call in sick, uh, right or not. And the union helped them fool the system. I guess, you know, the union said, hey, if you're going to take sick time uh, so that you take the time off that was supposed to make up for all the time the kids missed during your crazy strike, make sure you don't put, point, uh, post any pictures on social media that show you out, you know, having a good time or in some far-flung from location when, in fact, you're calling in sick. I mean, this is one of the biggest ripoffs of the kids, of the taxpayers, of the citizens, and frankly, of the entire education system. So I thought I'd put this in front of Angela Morabito, who's former press secretary at the U.S. Department of Education, under a great secretary of ed, although I'd like to see the entire department done away with, Betsy DeVos. She's not there anymore. Uh, I wish you were. And spokesperson for the Defense of Freedom Institute. Angela, good to have you back. It's great to be with you, Lars. And Merry Christmas in advance. Tell me what we should make of a teacher's union that goes on uh, on strike for an extended period of time. The kids get cheated out of the education. And then when the schools, the administration says, well, we'll make up the time when the, the teachers are on strike. And the union literally says, uh, we're going to show you how to game the system and just take the time off anyway and deny the kids an education. Is there any charitable way to interpret that? There really isn't. This is just one more proof point that teacher unions are not there for students. They are not serving families. They are not working in the best interests of the people they are supposed to serve. Unions are there for money and power, and, and this really exposes all of that because they lied during their strike for more than three weeks. They kept schools closed and said over and over again their favorite talking point was we're on strike for the kids, for our students. Well, part of the deal that came with the end of the strike, which, by the way, got them a massive raise, was that they would need to make up some of the instructional time lost. It's actually set by state law in Oregon. You have to have a certain number of instructional hours in uh, every school year. And these teachers were none too pleased about it. Absences are through the roof. And the local union leader actually said to her teacher members that if you are faking sick and out on vacation, just don't post it on social media. Now, she later backtracked, but that advice is still out there. That message is loud and clear. Well, and, and I'll tell you this. This may be a detail that you wouldn't have seen at the national level, Angela. But during the strike, some of the schools said, look, we're going to supply the kids with Chromebooks so they can do some lessons at home and we'll try to, you know, keep you, you know, keep your education going. And the teachers union literally came out and said, uh, you know, this union thug, this lady who runs the teachers union said, don't, don't help your kids keep up during the strike. That's your best way to show support 
for your favorite unionized teacher. And she was quoted in the in the paper, the Daily Dead Fish Wrapper, as saying this, as encouraging parents, don't keep your kids' education going. It's better if they're suffering because that'll make it more compelling to finalize a deal for our teachers. They they literally said don't keep the kids' education going. Yeah, these teacher unions uh, totally abandoned their students during COVID. They said school is non-essential, so it should not come as a surprise that many students and many families believed them and said, yeah, we don't think our government assigned public school is essential either. We're going to look for our first way out to a better place for our child to get a better education. Um, and it, the proof is in the test scores, right? When you look at Portland Public Schools, their test score proficiency rates uh, for high schoolers 32% in math, 62% in reading. Those are failing grades no matter how you slice it. But, of course, instead of trying to change the system that is miseducating or failing to educate all of these kids, what do the teachers' unions do? All they do is demand more money for less work. And, by the way, in their brand-new contract, I think they negotiated another half an hour where they don't have to, t I mean, because even in an eight-hour day, most union contracts call for, I think, five hours and 15 minutes of actual education. And they dropped that down, said, no, the teachers need more prep time. So the, the stories that, oh, well, we're working till midnight every night, you know, you've got paid prep time during the day, and you're only teaching a little more than half of every day out of a very short school year and a very short school day, and you only teach part of that. I mean, every time they come back to the bargaining table, they seem to do less teaching and get more money. I, that just doesn't make any sense to me. I could not agree more. Uh, but that large is exactly what they bargained for, is to take in more money from taxpayers while delivering less and less for their students. When you look at what uh, teachers in Portland are paid, the average Portland public schools teacher makes more than $80,000 a year. Yep. That is much higher than many, many other teachers in this country. And yet, what are they being paid for? You know, in the private sector, you get paid for the value you deliver. These teachers are being paid very well, but they're not delivering a, a good product. They're failing to teach these kids the basics. Now, teaching has never been an easy job. Teacher unions make it actively harder by advocating for policies that make schools less safe and that make teachers' jobs, uh, you know, they expand the role really uh, into teaching them all sorts of woke nonsense. So the unions aren't really on the side of the teachers here either because they block great teachers from being paid what they really deserve, and they make sure that even the worst teachers are not held accountable and the money just keeps flowing. So, so give me your prediction. I'm talking to Angela Morbido, who's from the Defense of Freedom Institute and formerly with the U.S. Department of Education under Betsy DeVos. Is there a chance that the unions are going to see the, you know, the, the, not the light at the end of the tunnel, but the dark at the end of the tunnel when they realize we're destroying the very institution where we draw our paychecks and we need to change course or we're going to get, you know, run over by the train? Or, or are they just going to continue on this path till every last parent pulls their kids out of public schools? They are going to stay the path, and we see this through two strategies teacher unions uh, take really across the country. The first is they fight against school choice because they don't want parents to have other options. They want a monopoly on education so they can keep raking in tax money even when they do a terrible job. Uh, the second strategy they take is trying to get rid of accountability measures. Uh, in all 40 states across the country, these unions have fought against 
standardized testing. They have fought against any sort of performance metric that would show parents and community members if a teacher was not doing their job. They know the product is bad. They know they can't defend it. So all they can do is get rid of what little transparency exists wow. and try to make sure families have no way out. Absolutely. That's Angela Morabito. Angela, thanks very much, and Merry Christmas to you. Back in a moment. Glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. Send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And, of course, naysayers always go to the head of the line on the Lars Larson Show. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. That'll work. Be honest. You're listening because you like what you hear. Right? Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. I want to tell you about some new statistics, and I love statistics because they are very good at describing a bad situation. As you know, the Biden administration has invited millions of illegal aliens to invade our country illegally. In fact, he's used the Border Patrol to facilitate their entry instead of trying to block their entry. And meanwhile, you've got the Biden administration in Mayorkas, the Homeland Security Secretary, saying, no, no, the border is completely secure. I guess because they give every one of those illegal aliens who come in a ticket. In fact, the most recent one, uh, there was a story yesterday that indicated a young lady who came into the country illegally. She came across the border into Texas, and she was given a ticket that tells her she must show up to the immigration service so that she can, you know, take care of her status in the United States, which is currently illegal. And uh, And when is she expected to show up? I kid you not. 2031, seven years from now. Her, her court date is seven years from now. And if you ask, well, what happens if she doesn't show up? Well, depending on who's president, who's in the Congress, either nothing or, or a lot. But, but at this point, she's being told you're going to be in the United States the next seven years, uh, before you even have to show up at the immigration office. And then if you don't show up, well, you'll be one of many, many people not showing up. So chances are we won't pay much attention to you. So. When Donald Trump came down that escalator in 2015 and he announced he was running for president, he made a comment that just set the liberals' hair on fire. They ran around screaming, you can't say that. 
He said, when they send illegal aliens across the border, and some countries literally will push people, and they'll release people from mental hospitals, from prisons, and they send, he, Donald Trump said, they're not sending their best. Let me tell you the latest indication of that. It's from a group that I've been following for a long time. They have great information. It's called the Center for Immigration St Studies. And I don't get any money from them or anything like that. I just like their work. Uh, so what they did was they went out and they studied immigrants in America and how they make their way. And uh, and the, the numbers are stunning. Now, in this case, they mixed both legal immigrants and illegal immigrants, which I think is a flaw. But even when you take into account that, that some of these people are green card holders and they're legitimately in the United States or they've been naturalized and they're legally here, and then you mix that group in with all the people who are here completely illegally, of all the households headed by immigrants, naturalized citizens, legal residents, and illegal aliens, 54% of them used one or more major welfare programs in America. Now, you might know that if you apply to come into the United States, get a green card, there's a thing called the public charge rule. And what it says is, you have to persuade the United States, when I come to your country, if I'm coming there intending to live and stay and maybe someday become a citizen, you have to persuade immigration services, INS, that you are unlikely to become a public charge, which is a fancy lawyer way of saying, you're not going to you're not likely to end up on the dole on food stamps, welfare, uh, Medicaid, Section 8 and all the rest of those. The rate for U.S. households is also high. Thirty nine percent of native born households uh, are on some major welfare program. It could be one. It could be all of them. And compared to households headed by U.S. born immigrants have especially high use of food stamps. Um, Twenty five percent for U.S. born. Thirty six percent almost 50% higher for people who are immigrants. Medicaid, 25% for native-born, 37% for so-called immigrants or illegals. The earned income tax credit, in which even if you're not paying taxes, you get money back from the IRS, 12% for U.S. households, 16% for so-called immigrants. And they estimate that 59% of households headed by illegal aliens use one or more of the programs, legal immigrants, about 10% lower than that. I illegal aliens can receive welfare on behalf of their U.S.-born children. Uh, they can get the free lunch at school. They get SNAP. They get all these other programs. And nobody, no one program explains the higher use overall of welfare by illegals. For example, excluding the use uh, the extensively used but less budgetary school lunch and breakfast program, along with the WIC program, 46% of all immigrant households and only 33% of U.S.-born households. If you think of it this way, if the United States is a family and your family is a prosperous family, people work, people contribute in the family, and then you begin to have your sons and daughters marry and bring people into the family and you bring in some deadbeats who say, I'm not going to work, I'm not going to contribute, you folks are making a lot, enough money, uh, I'll, just, I'll just be a free rider here. That's the situation we have, except it's at a national scale, and it involves not a few people like a family, it involves tens of millions of people. Now, to your calls on this Conspiracy Theory Thursday, let's go first to Weldon. Hey, Weldon, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? Thank you, Lars. Have a Merry Christmas. Merry uh, Christmas to I you think, and yours. Uh, Good, thank you. Uh, I was, I think, well, I would like Abbott, 
uh, the governor of Texas to uh, issue uh, an ultimatum to the Chicago mayor and tell him the only way to stop the uh, humanitarian relocation of immigrants to sanctuary is for him to tell him to deport them instead. Publicly state, I want them deported. That'd be great, especially if the if the mayor of Chicago and the mayor of New York and the mayor of Philadelphia would say, yeah. I will not only say it publicly, I will call Joe Biden. Now, I would imagine that the mayor of great. New York and the mayor of Chicago could get on the phone with Joe Biden. And, and if not, I'll call him out publicly and say Joe Biden needs to either stop the flood across the border, uh, but, but we have to have that happen because Texas is going to ship all these illegals up to Chicago. And lately, Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas, has been using not just buses, he's using airplanes. And unlike the Biden administration, and by the way, think how sneaky this is. The Biden administration <laughs> has been flying loads of illegals to places like New York, except they don't fly into Newark Airport, one of the majors. They don't fly into Kennedy. They don't fly into LaGuardia. They fly them into Westchester County Airport, a relatively small regional airport where the, you know, the, the site of a couple of hundred illegals getting off an airplane is not likely to draw much public attention, although they got caught doing it. Whereas what Abbott's doing is he's flying the illegals right into O'Hare International Airport. So that means people at O'Hare are seeing airplanes unload and everybody getting off the airplane is an illegal alien. And believe me, People on airplanes have called, you know, after they get off their flight, have sent me emails where they've called and said, look, we we're just on a plane full of illegals. And they're all holding their new papers. Uh, they're holding the, the, the debit cards they got issued because we're handing thousands of dollars to illegal aliens as they come into the country. And they were allowed to, to board those planes without picture ID. So every other American who has to go through that TSA line and the TSA line says picture ID or you're not getting on the plane they are currently allowing illegal aliens to board the plane with no ID at all. All they have is the ticket that was written to them by Border Patrol saying, you've been ticketed, you're supposed to show up at the CBP or INS office within years, uh, and, and here's your free cash, and here's the way to sign up for social welfare and all that. Meanwhile, American citizens are staying there saying, I got to go through the security line. I've got to have the uh, the body scan. I've got to have the you know X-ray of everything I'm carrying. I got to take my shoes off. I've got to show you picture ID. And the illegal alien doesn't have to do jack. Does anybody think that's reasonable? And if you do, I'll be glad to take the naysayer call at eight six six four three nine five two seven seven. Send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Vote in our X poll. You'll find that at Lars Larson Show on Twitter. And you're listening to the Radio Northwest Network. The Lars Larson Show. Simply by listening, you're proving how smart you really are. Lars thanks you. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to get to your phone calls and emails. I want to point out to you that there has been a real sea change in America. You've seen a massive amount of so-called protests. Uh, I guess if these were conservatives doing it, uh, Democrats would call it an attempted insurrection. But just Tuesday of this week, they arrested roughly 60 
anti-Israel protesters inside the U.S. Capitol Rotunda. Uh, and they were led into an illegal rally inside the Capitol and uh, stop harming Israel, let's have a ceasefire, all this kind of nonsense. And it makes you wonder, and I think I've got the perfect guy to answer this wonder, and that is, is this something new, new anti-Semitism in America, anti-Israel and anti-Jewish, uh, to be specific, or is it something that's been bubbling under the surface for a long, long time, and we're just seeing it rear its ugly head lately? Rabbi Yaakov Menken is Managing Director of the Coalition for Jewish Values, which is the largest rabbinic public policy organization in America. Rabbi, welcome back. Thank you so much for having me. I've been wishing everybody else Merry Christmas, so a belated Happy Hanukkah and Merry Christmas to you and, and yours, depending on what. I don't know what anybody celebrates these days. I celebrate Christmas, so there you go. Happy Kwanzaa. Happy, oh, no, don't, don't bring up Kwanzaa. That's, that's, that's one of those that I'm going to have to. I've, I've talked about before, and I'm not. But, but it's a subject for another day, as we like to say. So tell me, is this something new in America? Or is all this nonsense from the president of Harvard and UPenn and those knuckleheads, and then you've got the, 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 the protesters invading the Capitol Rotunda on Tuesday, you've seen major freeways shut down in cities all over America by people who are saying, you know, that, that you want to cease fire so that now the terrorists have struck, you shouldn't be able to strike them back. Um, is this new, or has it been there all along? It's a matter of something that's been slowly percolating, carefully cultivated. We've been warning about it for years, and, and now it has burst out in, in full form. Uh, in, in a way that I think is shocking to most Americans. I gotta admit, I was also shocked. October 7th, I did not anticipate that in America, a group for students, like Students for Justice in Palestine, would openly declare itself part of Hamas. Declare all of its members on all the campuses nationwide to be mass murderers and mass rapists of Jews. But that's what they did. And I think that that should be shocking to anybody who values American civilization. Well, and Rabbi, when I see these public opinion polls that appear to say a stunning number of 18 to 24-year-olds or 18 to 34-year-olds are saying, no, we, we should abandon, we should give Hamas what it wants, not, not the Palestinians, Hamas, what it wants, and we should uh, stop helping uh, our ally Israel, um, that's out there as well. And, and a lot of us are drawn to the conclusion this is coming because kids are being indoctrinated on college campuses, unless we conclude that they got this at home or from public schools. Uh, do, you, do you have a theory on that? It's definitely the result of anti-Semitic indoctrination on campus. You have too many stories of parents believing one thing and kids believing precisely the opposite to say they're all getting it. I mean, this is exactly the danger of indoctrination when it goes nationwide. This is something that Hitler pointed out. If you can control the youth, you indoctrinate the youth, you're going to control what the future looks like. And here you have, um, a generation ago, it was a few lunatic fringe leftists. Well, now those lunatic fringe leftists have, not only are they esteemed professors with tenure, a lot of them have endowed chairs in this department or that. Uh, a lot of them, by the way, in Near Eastern studies. And it, of course, it should be appalling to any decent person, but you have a situation, I just today told somebody, you're absolutely crazy to matriculate to Harvard in this circumstance. I would never work with a Harvard alum of the class of 28. 
No, and, and I, I wouldn't either. And Rabbi, I was encouraged a bit um, by by the news, and this came out earlier this week, that a lot of young men and women will apply to college. And if they want to go apply to a real, you know, prestige college with a prestige name like Harvard or Yale or one of those, they'll apply early to see if they can get early acceptance. And then they don't have to bother with going after a bunch of other lesser colleges. And apparently Harvard's been sending out early acceptance letters and a stunning number of people are saying, thanks, no thanks, I'm going somewhere else. Uh, should we be encouraged by that, that, that there are at least a few kids out there who are, who are showing some common sense? Well, there is a certain degree of it. Um, apparently 17% fewer kids applied early decision to Harvard over last year. We're still going to see how many of those kids actually break their contractual obligation. Under early decision, you're supposed to be committing. If you let me in, I'm coming to you. A certain number of students are going to say, well, yeah, that was before she testified in front of Congress and said the calls for genocide against Jews on that campus are okay. Uh, no, I'm not coming. We're going to have to see what happens. I mean, I, I still think it's appalling that 83% did apply for early decision to Harvard. I mean, the prestige of the name, I get how important it is. But at the same time, you've got to look at that and say, you know, this is now a one of the biggest woke indoctrination centers in the country. It used to be an educational institution, but I don't think that's its primary purpose today. No, and when they've got a woman at the top, President Gay at Harvard, who's committed plagiarism, I don't think I'm, I'm speaking out of school when I say there's solid proof that she's plagiarized left and right from a bunch of her academic colleagues who've all, many of them have complained and said, hey, you're ripping off my stuff. And the, the university won't hold her accountable for that. Then she goes and get, does this congressional testimony in which she essentially says, well, you have to understand the context of which we're calling for genocide, that sometimes it's okay to call for genocide. I mean, Rabbi, it's literally... When I, when I do this show, we write a, a new t uh, question that we put on X, and it used to be Twitter, and I always tell my producers, they said, now, the question has to have two answers. And they said, what do you mean by that? And I said, well, and one of the illustrations I've used is, should we legalize genocide on planet Earth? And they say, well, nobody's going to say yes to that. Everybody's going to say no. And I've always used that as an example of the question that only has one answer, which doesn't make it a good Twitter poll question or X poll question. Well, I guess I may have to change that because apparently there's a stunning number of people who say, well, depending on the circumstances, genocide can be okay. We're, we've really reached that point now? Yeah, it all depends on context. I mean, isn't that lovely? But you see, this is actually the result of something. Claudine Gay, by the standards that a, a professor has something called a curriculum vitae. It's a resume CV. on steroids. It's all the stuff that they put out. Her CV, by the, by the standards of most professors and most academic institutions, would fill a postcard. It's, she's produced a certain very limited, I think it's another like 17 or 11 papers, like no books. How on earth did she become president of Harvard? And it's obvious because the answer is they were looking for their diversity hire. When you actually say we don't care about somebody's academic credentials as much as which diversity boxes they check off, that's how you end up with a president like this and so committed to diversity 
equity, and inclusion, then of course Jews don't fit in the right box. So whether or not calling for genocide against them is bigotry depends upon context. And not only that, 17 articles and apparently a sizable number of them that were ripped off, you know, because I can I can cut and paste with the best of them. But, Rabbi, I'm careful on this show. If I want to quote Rabbi Menken, I quote Rabbi Menken. I mean, I think, wow, Rabbi really came up with a clever line there. But I'm never inclined to rip it off because I don't like plagiarism. Rabbi, have a wonderful holiday season. And thanks so much for all the things that uh, you've done for us and the time you spend with us during the year. Thanks so much. Lord, talk to you next it's a pleasure. Rabbi Yaakov Minkin from the Coalition for Jewish Values. Back in just a moment, we got a new Jim Gossett offering and your phone calls and your emails at 866-HEY-LARS. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. Is staring at I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k flats. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Just think of him as your concealed carry. This is the Lars Larson Show. The snowman, how he likes to snort the snow. There the cocaine goes straight up his nose. Hunter's done a lot of blow. Hunter likes strippers, ones he can impregnate. She'll take him to court for child support, cause he's over two years late. His out-of-wedlock children won't get the family name. That's because the Bidens, they don't have any shame. Oh, Hunter the Snowman, watch him do another line. Should be in the pen, but the fix is in. He won't even pay a fine. Sniffity, sniff, 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 sniff. Watch him sniff that coat. Sniffity, sniff, 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 Hunter Biden is a joke. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. That's our parody guy, the great Jim Gossett. And you can find all of his songs on Patreon. You can also find them on our website at LarsLarson.com. Now, we always put naysayers to the head of the line. Let's go first to Gary. Gary, as a naysayer, welcome to the program. Merry Christmas. And what do we disagree about? And Merry Christmas to you, Lars. I don't disagree with you. I disagree with the uh, education lady that you had on a few minutes ago, saying that 
teachers are the problem with uh, the reason kids aren't educated today. And I, I don't, <laughs> some teachers maybe, but not all teachers, to, to, to lump them all in the same thing. It's the school administrations and the people who are designing the educational system and the stuff that uh, kids are being taught, they're the problem. Is it going to surprise you, Gary, when I say teachers as a group could solve this problem and they choose not to? And can I prove that to you? Well, well, yeah, you probably could. I mean, I don't disagree that teachers. Uh, one of no, my no, no. But I'm going to answer you. The, you no, made wait, the point I, about administration. I, I, I agree with you about administration. But tell me this. Just answer a few questions. Make them quick, and uh, and I'll prove it to you. What is the most powerful? labor union in america got me teacher teachers unions are the most powerful and most political union in america now what is that teachers union the most powerful political organization in america the best funded hundreds of millions if not billions of dollars that are funded into into politics so with that kind of power could the teachers who are the union they're the votes in the union could they go to their union and say, we'd like tough discipline in classrooms so we can teach in peace. We'd like smaller administration and more teachers in every classroom. They could do that. Who decides the, the membership of almost every school board in America, Gary, including the ones in Kennewick, where you're from? The people. No, they don't. The unions. If you try to run oh, as unions, a conservative... The, the unions decide Okay. The unions decide it because the unions have the money, and they go out, and if somebody runs, as, like, if somebody with my point of view ran for the school board in Kennewick, that teacher's union in your community would make sure I never saw the school board. They'd say, Actually, Lars they is... just did a recall. They just did a recall in Richland based on somebody didn't like somebody's point of view. You know, you, I, I don't disagree. But was it a recall of a conservative I, or a I liberal? I'm willing to bet it was a conservative I, that got recalled, wasn't I, 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 Probably. Okay. I, I don't disagree with you that the teachers uh, could solve the problem. But the vast silent majority in this country could also solve a lot of political problems too and they don't because people just don't you know but gary gary hold on there are teachers there are teachers in both states that are willing to go on strike and punish the kids to get what they want so when you tell me they don't have the gumption to go get what they want well you want to blame the vast middle class you have a very activist union population of teachers and when they want more money in their paycheck they will beat the the education right out of your kids they'll as they just did in portland as they've done in other places in washington state they will say we will deny your kids education basically put a metaphorical gun to your kid's head and say you give me what i want says the teachers union or the kid gets it now i'm saying metaphorical gun so when they want more money they're perfectly willing to go to the mat so if you're telling me there are ways you could fix education by diminishing administration, yes. Better discipline, yeah. yes. Insisting on standards for kids, yes. And if the teachers union is really proud, is proud professionals, and I suspect you have a dog in the fight that you haven't disclosed, but that's okay. I can read through that. That if those teachers say, we're proud of our profession, really? If you're proud of your profession and you're a member of a union, do you tolerate incompetent teachers among your fellow union members? The answer right now is yes. Could you, as a union, say, 
We're not keeping anybody in the union who's not competent. We may help them fix their incompetence, but if they can't fix it, they're out. Could the teachers union do that? Probably. Okay, so, so if it's within the capability of the teachers to fix it and they don't, who should I blame? Well, I, I think, you know, a big part of it is, first of all, most teachers are good teachers, you know. Uh, most doesn't matter, Gary. Uh, averages don't matter. If you stick your head in the freezer and your feet in the oven, your average temper, temper, well, then why don't you say to the union, get rid of the incompetent teachers, they're killing our profession. Do I get stuck? Yeah, go ahead. I mean, you say that's honestly provocative talk, and then you're away by talk. Uh, I don't disagree with you about the evil of the teachers' union. I, I play basketball with the, with the retired. We're going to run out of time, Gary, but I appreciate a good naysayer call. You got the Lars Larson show. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs, but how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k flats. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Quiet, please. Ladies and gentlemen, you ready for the big show? In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. Is the Lars Larson Show. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Lars. And now. Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette. And my cat, Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. And just about anywhere you go in America, you're going to hear people say why we don't have enough housing. Imagine this, the wealthiest country on the planet, a very prosperous economy, and we've got endless land, we've got resources, we've got energy, we've got workers, we've got all of that. And they say, but we can't build enough housing for people to live in. It doesn't make any sense. Now, one of the last things I would have expected that I'd be doing right now is suggesting that California actually has one of the answers to one of the major problems affecting the rest of America. But Mark Harmsworth joins me now, director of the Small Business Center at the Washington Policy Center. Mark, welcome back and Merry Christmas. Uh, Merry Christmas, Lars, and thanks for having me on the show. So, so did Cali get one right for a change? 
Yeah, they got it mostly right. It wasn't a home run, but they definitely made it maybe a double. Um, they uh, passed a, a series of bills, and, and Governor Newsom has signed them into law, um, which are basically relaxing government regulations on property development. So uh, the first one that they passed, which I think is actually a fairly good idea, is Senate Bill 4, California Senate Bill 4, and it's called Yes in God's Backyard. And what it does, it kind of streamlines the permit process process for uh, developers to build um, housing on uh, church properties, as an example. So often churches are looking to help uh, the poor and needy in the community. Now they can do it with a little less regulation to reduce the cost of that, uh, which is definitely going to help. And then along similar lines, uh, Senate Bill 423 streamlines the permitting processes for developers for cities that aren't meeting their statutory requirements for low-income housing, and they can uh, waive a lot of the, the setup. Now, having said all that, they could just relax all of these regulations and really get the, the housing market moving, but that's hoping too much. But at least they're taking a step in the right direction here. Well, that'd be my reaction too, Mark. I didn't know about this, and I'm glad you brought it to my attention, but what happened when they were having this discussion? Should we relax these rules? Did anybody even raise the possibility? Why don't we just do this across the board? If it's good in the backyard of the church, shouldn't it be good everywhere else? Yeah, you would think so. I don't know what happened behind closed doors, but I also suspect that there was probably a discussion around, hey, uh, we need to get this housing market going. We've screwed it up enough. I mean, as you know, they have supermajority Democrats. Um, majorities down there in California and, and Governor Newsom's also Democrat and they've been passing all these regulations and suddenly they've suddenly realized oh uh, we can't run these regulations because we're not getting any housing built because the developers can't make any money so the sort of common sense has kicked in here so the next question is, will other states, I know there are a lot of states that seem almost uh, pathological about saying, whatever California does, we want to do it too. Is there any chance this idea is going to spread to other places where other blue states especially will say, well, California got it right, they, they backed off on the regs, we should do the same kind of thing. You see any sign of that? I hope so, and I hope to see um, an even more aggressive approach in Washington and Oregon uh, where they start relaxing a lot of these regulations, which often add 20 to 25 percent of the cost of the house um, in construction costs, just the permit fees alone. Uh, we've got efforts here in Washington, uh, Washington Senate Bill 5792, which does some reclassification of the smaller multi-units. Um, where there are regulations in Seattle, which were relaxed many years ago, that I'd like to see uh, moved elsewhere around staircases in multimodal and multi-unit housing. That will reduce the cost significantly. And I think if if they start really getting serious about this and, and relaxing these regulations, we could see the, the housing market loosen up and see some more construction happen, which see, uh, demand and supply will give us more homes. The thing I always think about, Mark, years ago, I went to the city I lived in, and I said, hey, I might want to add a second water meter. And, they, you know, and we had two acres and we don't have two acres anymore. And I said, I want to be able to water my lawn. I have to drag a bunch of hoses down there. And they said, oh, you can do that. And I said, okay, what's the cost? And they said, well, it's 50 bucks for the permit. I said, okay, 75 bucks for the meter. And then they said 1799, I think that was the number, uh, for the system development charge. And I, I paused a moment. And I said to the lady I was talking to, I said, I assume 1799 means $1,799 and not $17.99. And she said, well, of course. 
And I said, so you want me to pay 2000 bucks up front so I can buy water from you? And she said, yes. And I thought, you know, if Verizon, the cell phone company, did business that way, they'd tell every kid who walks in, I want the new cool iPhone. Okay, pay us $2,000 up front or 1800 bucks or whatever. And they wouldn't sell any cell phones. It's almost as though... You know, because if you just said, oh, we'll, we'll let you have water service, but you're going to have to pay a little extra for the SDC, but we'll do it over, you know, 10 years or 20 years. We'll still get your money. They can bond it out if they need it right now, but most of the time they don't need it right now. Why in the world does government not look to the private sector and say, hey, that's a better way to do it. We'll, we'll sell a lot more meters. We'll have a lot more people, you know, and, and then apply that to every other thing where they say there's a system development charge. You want to build a house for $400,000 in the Seattle Metro or Portland Metro. Um, you, you pay us a hundred grand up front for all the things we're going to spend it on over the next 20 years. Well, if you really want more housing, why don't you stretch those payments out over that period of time and maybe even try to reduce the payments? Uh, they don't do that though. No, they can eliminate them altogether. I've just gone through this process to get water out of a well that's on a piece of land that I own. And I had to get a permit for the permit. <laughs> Ridiculous it sounds, but that's what it felt like. <laughs> then I had to go to three different buildings uh, to get three different types of permit. And after spending two and a half, three thousand dollars just on this little piece of the exercise, I was then allowed to draw water out of an existing well on my property. And what did I get? for my $3,000, uh, some paper and maybe a nice chat with the clerk behind the desk. But uh, as much as I love government employees, I don't want to pay $3,000 for a nice chat. That kind of permit is ridiculous. Why are we paying these kind of fees for something that really doesn't need to happen? So there's a bunch of reforms that can go on. Maybe these two Senate bills, 423 and 4 in California, can be used as examples. But let's get these things rolled back and get the housing costs get the housing costs down. It's ridiculous. We're paying so much. Well, and Mark, I think part of the answer, I've always wished that more people who have experience in the private sector, not me, but you know, somebody who's a de developer or a builder or something like that would end up in say county commission or city council or state legislative positions where they could say don't do it that way you're not going to get any housing built do it this way this is what we do in the private sector and yet i very rarely hear anybody in government reference the private sector it's as almost as though oh all those dummies out in the real world they don't know anything about building housing we're the ones who know about it and and they don't seem to know their you know their their backside from a hole in the ground yeah yeah it's you're absolutely spot on. You start looking at setback rules where they want to tear buildings down because the setback changed after the building being put in and all these different things that the, the, the officials go through. But I've seen this time and time again, altruistic ideas that get put into permits, which then cost more money. And now you're looking at a 25% cost increase of a home. A $450,000 home is now costing five forty-five. Unbelievable. $540,000. Mark Harmsworth, Merry Christmas to you, sir. And thanks for the work you do at Washington Policy. Coming up, I'll get to your phone calls and emails, and I'll tell you about a massive population shift that's going on in America. And it's bad news for the Democrats. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? 
Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Saying the things you wish you could say. More with Lars. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. I haven't seen a shift in population described in percentage terms like this in a long, long time. And it's not especially good news for Democrats, although I think there's a warning in there for conservatives in conservative states as well. Let me get into the numbers in a moment. But first, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. And I'm always glad to get to your phone calls and emails at 866-HEY-LARS. And if you happen to be a naysayer, and we've had some great naysayers today already... 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. But let me tell you about this. There's brand new Census Bureau data out there, and I want to give full credit uh, to the Daily Caller for pulling all this together. And what it shows is that five states, all states with Democrat governors and Democrat legislatures, Pennsylvania, New York, Illinois, California, and Oregon, have lost between a tenth of a percent and half a percent of their population just in one year, July of 22 to July of 23. Now you say, well, it's a small percentage. Yeah, it's a small percentage. It's a small period of time, 12 months, and you actually had a net loss in population in five states, all of them featuring Democrat governors and de Democrat state legislatures, meaning that what you've got is one-party rule. And in one-party rule, there's no check and balance. And in fact, I know that if, if some of you were asked, well, Lar would Lars like to have a state that has all Republicans in office? No. And, and I'll tell you why. Because when you have that creative push-pull where one side says, hey, we ought to do it this way, or we should do more of this, and the other side says, whoa, whoa, hold on a second, no matter which side it is that's saying let's hold back, that helps make better solutions. One-party rule never seems to work out well. And left-leaning states have seen similar declines in the lead-up to the 2020 census, and that led to losing seats in the House of Representatives and, yes, votes in the Electoral College as well. And the trend line for uh, liberals and Democrats, um, not good. It's not looking very good. In fact, uh, Dave Wasserman, who's with the Cook Political Report, says, on its face, the trends look pretty bad for the Democrats, but it's also premature to extrapolate trends from the last three years out into the next seven years. In all likelihood, we're going to see a continued shift from California, New York, Illinois, and Pennsylvania to the Sun Belt and more Republican-leaning states. But you know what happens? Every 10 years, we reshift the congressional boundaries. 
And that's done so that every member of Congress ends up representing about the same number of Americans, roughly 800,000 for every member of Congress. So if you wonder, why do we have these 435 members of Congress and who do they exactly represent? Now, some of them come from big cities. Some come from small or more rural areas, but all of them represent about the same number of people in their district. That's what the redistricting is that happens every 10 years after the end of the census. So, for example, New York State saw the biggest out-migration, a net population loss of 102,000. Now, when they say net, they, they know there are still people moving to New York and there are people moving from New York. But when you net it out, the, the in-migration and the out-migration, they lost 102,000 people. And by the way, some of the detail that the census numbers do not get into, but I know about it generically, in the state of California, I don't live in California, but the fact is California is seeing not just a loss of people, but a loss of incomes because the average person who said, I'm pulling up stakes and I'm going somewhere else, not every person, but the average is a better paid individual. They're often professionals. They're, they often have very good paychecks, and they're taking those paychecks somewhere else. California saw the second worst net loss of 75,000. And in fact, if I remember right, California has been a net migration state, in migration state, for decades. Uh, and yet now, the net number of people is, is going down, not up. Illinois lost about thir almost 33,000 people. And the problem is, they're looking at the, I mean, you see the big famous folks like Elon Musk saying, I'm leaving California, I'm going to Texas. Now that gets your attention. But then you realize if there are other people who don't have the same kind of media attention that say a person like Elon Musk gets, you're losing people who are taking a massive amount of income with them. And with that goes the tax base. Because when you see 75,000 people who make great paychecks or 101,000 or 102,000 in New York State, that means you're losing the tax money to pay the benefits. And you're leaving behind more of those people who are not able to actually generate the income to support what they do. Texas, get this, Texas added not quite half a million more residents than it lost uh, Florida was right behind with a net gain of 365,000 people. Now, am I saying I want to go to one of those states? No. What I'm saying is, what happens in a country when people, thank God this country is not run uh, as, as one big nation. It is run as 50 individual states. And if we had a more constrained federal government, where they're not constantly scooping up a bunch of tax revenue and then deciding based on politics how to shovel it out to the states. The states ought to keep more of that, or they ought to give it back to the people who actually paid it, the taxpayers. But if you had a federal government that was, as it was designed, supposed to have enumerated powers, they were supposed to stay in their lane, you didn't need a federal department of education that costs us almost a trillion dollars every 10 years. If you got rid of that and the money went back to the taxpayers or just back to the states and we said to the states, you decide how to spend this education money. We're not sending it off to Washington, D.C. Those folks don't exactly have a lock on the right way to do things. If you did it that way, then I think the move would be more pronounced. 
because people in states like New York and Illinois and California are saying the schools are failing our kids. Where can we get a great school? And when they find out, oh, that state does very well with its students, they say, well, then why don't we move there? It's exactly the idea that Ben Franklin and other people called laboratories of democracy. In other words, when a state decides to colossally screw up the way Illinois has, the way New York has, and the way California has, the citizens are free to say, then I'm going somewhere else. It is one of the elements of what I consider the private sector that's actually reflected a little bit in government. It ought to be reflected a lot more. If you go to a store and you say, ah, I used to go to that store all the time, but they don't provide me with good service anymore, so I'm taking my paycheck and I'm taking my purchases somewhere else. You can do the same thing with states. And, of course, I know that it's incredibly difficult for the average family to say mom and dad are going to quit their jobs, we're going to pack everything up, sell our house, and move hundreds of miles away. But at some point, if the conditions get bad enough, and clearly they are in places like New York and Illinois and California, the people will do that. And when they do, the state with the out-migration has two choices. Fix the problem or lose your population, or lose big parts of your population. And usually from a taxpayer standpoint, you're moving away from high taxes, away from crazy government, away from crazy regulations, and you're moving toward more freedom and more liberty. Who in the world wants to move to less liberty and less money from your paycheck? Glad to get your calls, 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And you're listening to the Radio Northwest Network. The Lars Larson Show. And always guessing what he'll say next. Here's Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. I've been waiting for the bubble to burst. I've been waiting for all the greenies who are out there, including Joe Biden and all his buddies, who say, oh, no, we have to move to electricity for heating, for cooling, for everything. We have to move to electricity for personal transportation like your car. And then, of course, all the other crazy ideas. We're not going to build nuclear. We're not going to use natural gas. We forbid you from using oil and coal and every other form of energy and it's all going to work and it, it began to be very clear even to people uh, unlike me who weren't convinced already that this was not going to work it's not going to work so i thought we'd uh, get a little update as we head toward the end of the year larry barons is with a group called power of the future larry welcome back to the program hey thanks so much Lars. great to talk with you did the bubble burst in 2023 and can we expect some uh, maybe some major sea changes heading into 24 I, I think it did burst in 2023. You saw, you know, electric bus, battery manufacturers go out of business. You see huge wind projects off the shore of New Jersey, some of the biggest in the country, uh, not be able to even get off the ground, no pun intended. And so we see that. What I'm worried about is 2024 will be the year that, you know, Joe Biden decides to use the Inflation Reduction Act as a big, you know, green slush fund to bail out all of these companies so that we can keep throwing good money after bad. Yeah, and, and, and I hope that happens because all these various examples, I mean, I just, I've seen people back off. I saw the major car makers say, we're not selling these things. So we're going to cut our, Ford cutting its production of, of its uh, lightning electric pickup truck in half. And all these dealers telling Ford, this stuff that you're selling us is not moving off the lot. 
we don't want to be part of it. Four or five hundred of those dealers saying this just isn't working for us. I'm hoping that this means that some of these people are going to come to their senses. Although, am I being too optimistic? <laughs> I don't think you are. You know, it's really interesting. The Ford F-150, I mean, a lot of EV production has been cut back because it's just not getting off the ground like folks thought it would. But the Ford F-150 is an iconic American vehicle. It is the most popular vehicle in America for, I think, 40 years running. And so the fact that they electrified it, to use Joe Biden's words, and then it couldn't sell, they have to pull back on it, tells you kind of everything you need to know. You could take the most popular model of a vehicle, make it electric, and people still don't want it. So they're having to cut back dramatically. And, and keep in mind, this is after massive subsidies to build them, uh, massive tax credits to uh, for consumers to buy them. And so there's all kinds of opportunity here, and Americans just aren't buying it. Well, in fact, Larry, I've heard the number that, and it varies depending on the source, that it's tens of thousands of dollars that the car companies lose on every single EV they're making right now. In some cases, as much as thirty to $50,000 per vehicle that they lose because it costs more to build the vehicle than it actually brings in a price tag, even with the subsidies. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's absolutely accurate. And that loss is after taxpayers have subsidized it to tens of thousands of dollars uh, per vehicle, right? And so there's by one study an estimate that if you're paying $100,000 for a Ford F-150 EV, that actually costs around $200,000 to build. And what? so the, uh, the taxpayers have subsidized it already to get it on the lot, and then consumers are given some tax credit to buy it, and it's still not moving. That's where we are right now. And so this is a product that the free market is not demanding, but yet Joe Biden is forcing. Well, and the other piece to this that, that has kind of flummoxed me, but maybe you can help me set in context. Uh, I'm not a fan of unions. I, I have been in the unions before. I don't like them. But if people want to belong to a union, fine. God bless you. Good luck. Because I don't think they're good for workers either. But have the unions figured out that when the car companies and Joe Biden say, we're going to build a lot of EVs, and all the industry figures I've seen said, for every 100 people it takes to build a given number of, 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 of profitable gas and diesel trucks and cars, uh, you're only going to need about 40 to build the electric version because yeah. they're, they're built differently, they're, they're a different animal. And when the unions say, you mean you, you're going to have to surplus over half of our members? I would think the unions would go ballistic. Well, not only that, even if those that do get the job uh, building those EVs, you have to understand right now that they're within a year having to cut back these massive uh, predictions that these were just going to fly out of dealer lots haven't happened. And so when you're cutting back at uh, uh, manufacturing across the country, then that is cutting jobs. And so, yes, anybody who is working in the industry should be fearful of this forced transition because it is a product that people just aren't buying. And it, this is at a time when internal combustion cars and hybrid cars are doing great. And so well, you I, have to <laughs> ask yourself, like, why are we building these products that they don't want and, and not building ones that they do? Yeah, because they're, they're going to make you want it because you're going to say, well, I'll, I'll buy a gas car. And they say, no, you can't. They're illegal. So what's my choice? Electric. Well, then I guess I'll take electric. It's like, yeah, everybody is. It's almost like Henry Ford's old joke that you can buy, a, you know, what was the Ford Model T or Model A in any color you want as long as it's black. You can buy any any kind of car with any kind of engine you want as long as it's electric. And I just wonder, Americans are you? I mean, 
I'm sometimes even I am Larry. I walk into a grocery store with my wife, and we're doing our grocery shopping, and I'll say, "What? There's 50 kinds of mayonnaise and 50 kinds of mustard, and 50 <laughs> yeah. kinds of this." I mean, it's it's almost an it's an almost an obscene amount of choice, but I'm glad for it because I think, well, sorry for the little mustard company that you know whose bottles didn't sell, but but we have lots and lots of choice, and Americans are going to take something where the government says we will define the menu and there will be one item on it and that's the one you buy yeah it's such a, a great point you know you have to look at it as the free market chooses with the mustard bottle but joe biden can't allow that you know if he gives us the freedom to choose the products that we want to buy we may not choose the products that he's demanding we buy and so that's why you see you know i think joe biden has had you know massive amount of executive orders i think at last count it was 126 one for nearly every week he's been in office all targeting things like the oil and natural gas industry and that doesn't even count the rules that like his epa is putting out that are forcing these electric vehicles and so you're absolutely no pun intended they've shifted from oh yeah choose it because it's better to oh well you're not choosing it so we're gonna have to force you to buy it it's it, that's the green agenda in a nutshell products so good we have to force you to buy them no and although there was one little bright light i mean i don't like you know, I, I, look if joe biden does something right i'll be happy to credit him i mean just to i, I guess to show that i'm being diverse or whatever they want to call it but the other day i saw a report that said the biden administration was planning to up natural gas exports from the united states i thought great we can take something we have in abundance we've got plenty of it for us sell some of it to europe uh, you know, uh, push other suppliers out of the way, including Putin, and and make money for Americans. What's not to like about it? And then I see that Joe is getting all these all these uh, brickbats from the folks on the left, from the greenies, saying, "No, no, you can't sell them that clean fuel. Don't send sell it to them." And I'm thinking, you guys are willing to cut your own throats, aren't you? Well, let, let's not forget it was a natural gas fracking company in Ukraine that Hunter Biden worked for. So Joe Biden <laughs> loves fracking. <laughs> just as long as it's not in the United States. But your your point is a great one because when you look at Joe Biden looking the other way on Iran making oil, right? Iran's supposed to have sanctions. They make billions because Joe Biden doesn't enforce those sanctions. You let Saudi Arabia have oil. You let Venezuela have oil. You let everywhere but the United States have oil. And that is that, that dynamic that you speak of right there where he is just trying to impose political will here in the United States as far as you know pulling oil out of the ground he's more than happy to bake Saudi Arabia for it but he will not uh, go to Midland and say hey let's get some Americans to work heck he even does major league favors for folks like bad bad players like like Venezuela saying oh you need some favors sure as long as you'll ship us some of your dirty oil we'd rather burn your dirty or dirty oil than the clean oil we pull out of Texas and Oklahoma that's Larry Barron's Larry Merry Christmas to you and yours with the group called Power the Future. I'm glad to get your calls at 866-439-5277. And we love taking naysayers. Naysayers are welcome always, and you'll go to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. You can always vote in our Twitter poll. You'll find it every day on X or Twitter at Lars Larson Show and on our website at LarsLarson.com. And you're listening to the Radio Northwest Network.
So, I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. You know, if we keep meeting like this, people are going to talk. Here's Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. You might have heard some reports internationally that in Prague, in Czechoslovakia, that uh, the Czech Republic, I should say, uh, that there was a massive shooting. Uh, Fifteen people murdered uh, on Thursday in Prague at a university by a crazy young man who apparently was having psychological problems. I don't know what, it, what the details of it were beyond that because all they can tell us is some of the last statements that he made on Telegram or other social media. But he murdered a lot of people, and he murdered them in a place that has basically the same kind of gun control that Oregon and Washington already have. So when people make the argument that we should have tougher laws like Measure 114, which, thank God, was found unconstitutional so far in the Oregon courts, um, that if you just had those additional laws, you'd stop mass shootings. Well, apparently not. And apparently Prague has more liberal gun laws than most of Europe does because most of Europe does not recognize the right of citizens to actually keep and bear arms. America does because it's a God-given right and protected by the Constitution. But I just wanted to remind you, uh, if you say, well, if we just had those rules, uh, we'd stop the mass shootings. No, apparently not. And there's the proof in the shooting that just happened in Thursday on in Prague, where 15 were killed and 30 people were wounded. Today's Twitter poll, should sovereign Indian nations control the spending of all $1 billion in salmon recovery cash? Right now, it's spent by the Bonneville Power Administration. The Biden administration has decided to shovel out a favor for its friends. Uh, uh, they're not going to do dam removal. Thank goodness for that. But here's what they are going to do. For the first time, the Indian tribes of the Northwest will control how the $1 billion in salmon recovery funds will be spent, not by the Bonneville Power Administration that at least arguably represents the point of view of everybody in the, in the uh, Northwest because they answer to Congress. No, instead it's going to sovereign Indian nations, and if you're not, a member of one of those sovereign Indian nations, you're going to have no say-so about how that $1 billion that is coming from tax money or ratepayer money uh, through the federal government. If that makes sense to you and you think that's equitable, by all means, call the show and be a naysayer. You can find the Twitter poll, should sovereign Indian nations in the Northwest control the spending of all $1 billion in salmon recovery cash? I'd say no to that. With all due respect to the tribes, no. Uh, today's Twitter poll, or X poll, is brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. 
By the way, this segment of the show is always brought to you by our friends at Protect Power. Make sure your loved ones are safe when the power goes out. Call 541-ONA-GEN. That's 541-ONA-GEN. Let me go to, is it Maria? Yes. Maria, welcome Hello. to the program. Thanks for the call from uh, Liberal Bellingham. What's on your mind? <laughs> um, so we have two tribes up here. One of them is the Lummi. One of them is the Nooksack. The yep. Lummi are business people and have been for years. They are succeeding with their casinos. They're building. They're thriving. They're going interest. Remember, however, that six generations, if a generation is 30 years, six generations ago, the Native Americans owned this place. Three generations ago, they decided that the boarding schools weren't doing them any good, and they put them into public schools. That's three generations ago. If you ask me, and I'm the first one to go through college in my family to handle a billion dollars, not good. So whether they're honest or not, the Nooksack have disenfranchised half of their tribe. They're failing. They're a mess. You can't just say Indians and Indian tribes and expect them to have equal um, values, equal expertise, equal knowledge. But if you're a conspiracy person, you can say, hmm, I bet those same people that helped the Nooksack get those two casinos and have their hands in so deep, I bet they're up after that billion dollars and they're real happy about this whole thing. I, I bet they are as well. And, Maria, I think some of the tribes have done very, very well in their enterprises, not just casinos, but other things like resorts and forest land and, and hydropower and the whole nine yards. And some have done not so well. My concern at the front end of it is if you've got a billion dollars in money controlled by the United States government and you're going to spend it in a region and then you take a tiny, tiny number of the people in that region and say, based on your race, ethnicity and nationality as a sovereign Indian citizen, you have the right to decide where that billion gets spent, not the other, you know, 12 million people in the region. That doesn't seem right. And Lars, one more quick thing. Sure. This is on your, your Mexican fellow. I'm sure that the, um, oh, the drug dealer sponsored the one up here. Yep. We'll be glad to help mentor him because he's just a pussycat. We have one up here that they just sentenced. I don't have the fixed facts in front of me anymore, but uh, he was started in 2005 at Western Washington University doing dealing cocaine. They sentenced him to five years, kicked him across the border. They did Mexican government picked him up for drug trafficking and gave him five years down there. <laughs> he left there, came back up here. After 18 months of investigation, they found that he was leading one of the major cartels, little drug dealing and doing meth. And you can look it up on the. Uh, um, Attorney General's website for Washington State. So they, they got him and they nailed him because he was a leader and he was translating when he was in the Mexican prison so that they could develop better routes. Guess how much they sentenced him to and they were really strict with him. How much? 11 years. 11 years. See, there's got to be a way to... He'll in... be 49 when he gets out. Well, and He'll that's fine. Out. And you think he won't go right back. If he knows the drug business. I mean, imagine saying... If if you can if you can make hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars in the drug business, you've got to incapacitate those people and say the penalties are worse than the rewards. Otherwise, we get more of the same. And this guy's been deported now once. He'll be deported again, and he'll probably come right back. Mario, thank for thank you for the call. You got the Radio Northwest Network. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? 
Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com.